We got Rangers Flyers tonight. Uh, you gonna watch her? Yeah, man. I'm I'm watching almost specifically to hear uh, NBC Sports Network's own Doc Emmerich say the following. Oh no! Step on to Dorset, Dorset to Boyle, Boyle to McDonough. He scores. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. Across the way from me is Doug Williams. Is Doc Emmerich. And possibly Doc Emmerich. Exchanging pleasantries in front of the net is Boyle and Simmons. I don't think they're exchanging family recipes, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Doc Emmerich in the building. How Not many really. times tonight will he he compare the rivalry to a real-life scenario? Like, that's what he does. Probably several, yeah. But, but, but it goes without saying that. In this case, imitation is flattery because I wish I was that man. Like, he's just so good at his job that you just – I have to impersonate him because I love it so much. I cannot wait to hear his voice at 8 p.m. Well, it's like one of those things where he just keeps the energy up. You know, if you remember that that game a few years ago with the Rangers and the Caps that went into three overtimes in the uh, the playoffs. Like, he sounded the same at 1 a.m. that he did at 8 o'clock. He just was always on. So He just keeps going. He does. He's like the Energizer Bunny. I'd listen to him and Gus Johnson pretty much announce like somebody mowing their lawn. Yeah. Like, it would just be ridiculous. And I'm trying to think. Um, Doc has done. What did he do? He did water polo. Yeah, for the NBC Olympics Sports a couple years ago. Yes, yeah. and and I'm sure he made that absolutely yeah. thrilling. It's just what he does. And at the Stadium Series, they'll put him outside. It's 20 degrees. You don't notice it. He's just like it's a little frigid here. I brought my mittens. Yeah, and, and that's, that's it. He's not a complainer. He's that's just about right. Great at his job. That's what makes you one of the best in the game, I suppose. Exactly. Or for hockey, the best in the game. Yeah, I mean, he's the A team. You know, he is. If you have a big hockey game, you know, and he only does specific games. You know, he didn't even do the Canadians Bruins game uh, a few nights ago. You know, that shows you that he really does specific games that he thinks are the most Well, yeah, important. I mean, NBC Sports Network does have a couple of announced teams and yeah, always, they do. always have. But, yeah, I mean, he was there for the Devils for the height of their cup runs. And as much as we as Rangers fans, I'm sure, love Sam and Joe or the Islanders fans love Howie Rose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone I think will agree he's one of the best. But uh, moving on from uh, your Doc Emmerich impression, let's get on to the sports we actually cover here at the Yes Network, number one being baseball uh, because it is March and things are coming down to the wire. And uh, Michael Pineda is the fifth starter. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been officially announced as of, you know, we're taping this Wednesday afternoon, but everyone else is gone, so it's pretty much a certainty that Francisco Cervelli is the number two catcher, which yep. was more of a... One of those quote-unquote rigged competitions the Yankees have had in recent years, according to some people. Uh, You know, kind of the Cervelli's job to lose competition more than anybody's to win. Yeah. And that's, I mean, competitions are like that sometimes. You don't, it's very rare that you see a competition in sports where there's no front runner at the beginning. Right. And they call it a competition because there's always the chance that an Austin Romine or a Jared Murphy hits 600 in the spring and just blows the other guys out of the water. In this case... It happened to be Francisco Cervelli, the guy that was the favorite that hit 600 and, and crushed it. Right. I mean, as of today, he's leading the team in like average home runs, uh, slugging percentage, thrown out 50% of base dealers, pretty much having a monster spring. If if that were Romine or Murphy and Cervelli were hitting, you know, Derek Jeter numbers in terms of hitting, uh, chances are, you know, 
shoe might be on the other foot. You may be saying, well, hey, wait a minute, Romine or Murphy or whoever it is kind of, you know, has shown this spring that they're the guy. But uh, it didn't really work out. Romine didn't even seem to look like he wanted to be there half the spring. He he had a terrible spring before he got sent out this morning. Yeah, it didn't seem like he really, you know, was in the right place this spring. I'm not sure what it was. I don't know if he just kind of figured that he had not he wouldn't win the job anyway, so he kind of mailed it in. But you know, it's interesting actually, Lou, because I have noticed uh, Michael Pineda kind of seems to have a good relationship with Francisco Cervelli, and I'm sure that. For um, the Spanish-speaking pitchers, it's nice to have Francisco Cervelli back there because, you know, he speaks Spanish. And and for Michael Pineda, it's very possible that that is helpful for him. Oh, absolutely. And, and he caught a few of his games this spring. Uh, there's a picture uh, on the web of Pineda with his arm around uh, Cervelli in the bullpen. And it just looks like one of those cool pitcher-to-catcher relationships right. in a photo. And, you know, I think the Yankees really like Cervelli because he is just known as a good guy. He's a good kid, and he also brings energy to the ballpark. He's learned a lot from what's happened to him in the last two yeah. years between the demotion to AAA when the Yankees traded for Stewart and then last year with the injury and the mm-hmm. biogenesis stuff. He's, he's, he's learned a lot. And if you think about it, that's rare in sports. A lot of times we see guys, bad things happen to bad people in sports, and you're just like, wow, that's his true nature. Those, those are his true colors. Right. Everyone knows him now. But The meta world peace syndrome. Right. And yeah. Cervelli really – has kind of blossomed right now. It is blossoming in front of our eyes in terms of a, a, a man and a player. And yep. um, so I, I think we agree in that these are probably the two obvious and correct decisions in terms of Michael Pineda in the rotation and Cervelli at catcher. Uh, Pineda, I drafted him in fantasy. Um, I have high hopes for him because – and people are, are pinpointing his velocity as a negative, which I understand. If he's throwing 91, when the Yankees traded for him, he was throwing 98. Right. However – he was blowing guys away at 91. Yeah. He has the ability to really blow you away, no matter how hard he's throwing. And when the Yankees signed CeCe Sabathia, he was throwing 98 too. And that was you know five years ago now, and he's down into the lower 90s, but he's still got to show he's going to be an effective pitcher. It's not – if you're that one-trick pony and velocity is your only trick, you're not going to last that long no matter how high that velocity is or where it goes. Because anybody will tell you, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that doesn't move – is a 98-mile-an-hour sitting target. Right. But if you're throwing 92, 93 with crazy movement, you know, then you're, you're in business. If you're throwing 94 and it's going straight down the middle, you're Phil Hughes last year. And, and think, you see what happened. I think David Cohn actually made a good point uh, during the game the other day when they were, you know, Pineda started. It was the, the – he gave up two runs one Sunday, on, yeah. On Sunday. Uh, Cohn said, forget about velocity itself. His best pitch is just the slider now. It's not about how fast he's throwing his fastball. His slider has gotten better. Right. His changeup too. He's he, yeah. he's even said his changeup has improved. So it looks like it looks like he's a better pitcher right. than he used to be. And maybe it's because he's had to adjust. Uh, you know, a shoulder injury took away some of the uh, the MPH, and now he has to adjust and and really learn how to pitch. Yeah, and you know, like you said with the catchers too, I'm sure that's a that's a big relief. Just as for you know Masahiro Tanaka having Kuroda and even Ichiro in the Yankees clubhouse is a big help, just in terms of transition and and being a guy he can talk to and count on. It helps to have those kind of guys. And you know, John Flaherty said in a piece we put up on on the web yesterday, Cervelli is kind of the guy that you see as a perfect backup. He's never going to be an all star, you don't think? I mean, he was having a great April last year when he got hurt. But you don't know if he could sustain that over the course of a whole year. He's, is he a competent starter? 
probably a guy who can start 70, 80 games and be effective, but he's that perfect, like, come in once or twice a week, got some pop in his bat, you know, receives the staff very well, just kind of that perfect backup, as Flash said. So now the Yankees have that situation, whether or not he's going to be traded. I mean, there's teams that need catchers everywhere. The Rangers, you know, may have checked in on him, as as reports indicate, after Giovanni Soto went down, but... Obviously, the Yankees are only going to make a move if the trade value is high enough to net them something they need and something they want. Yeah. But it's the perfect scenario. Now, Romine and Murphy can play every day in AAA. I'm sure there'll be a lot of DH days for for one or both. Kind of a scenario where they'll stash a Tyson Blazer or a Francisco Arcia kind of guy down there as a third catcher to play once in a while. Well, the point of that is that, you know, if Murphy's the DH and Romine's the catcher and something happens to Romine or something happens to Murphy and they need a backup catcher, they have one. So they'll stash a guy there to kind of be the, you know, he'll play 20 games and and get 50 at-bats. The AL East, Lou, is going to be interesting. I I was telling uh, Matt Stucco, our our colleague, this when I was in Tampa. The Orioles look like they're going to score a ton of runs. I mean, they have added to their lineup. Nelson Cruz is a good big bat for to complement guys like Adam Jones, Matt Wieters, uh, Chris Davis, <clears throat> Manny Machado when he comes back. That is a loaded lineup. You have the Tampa Bay Rays who have the opposite. They have loaded rotation. Their, their offense is going to be a little bit better than it has been in the past as well. And then, of course, you got the defending champs with the Red Sox. You got the yep. Yankees, who look to be a little bit bolstered, and the Toronto Blue Jays, who everybody's saying is going to be in fifth place. But it's basically the same team we were all saying. Yeah, and it was first. the same team that we thought was going to win 150 games last exactly. year before everybody got hurt <laughs> and R.A. Dickey sucked. But you know, it's it, it, it's the nature of the AL East, Doug. I mean, it's been the most competitive division in baseball for years, where I should say most of the last. You know, decade or so, not necessarily every year, but these teams reload. I mean, the Rays have always been about pitching, and, you know, Joe Madden's mind pretty much wins them more games than they, they should on talent alone. The Red Sox, you know, same rotation last year, some bullpen questions, missing a couple guys, but they're the defending world champs. You can't count them out, like you said. And then Baltimore adding Cruz lengthened their lineup based on what they lost versus what they gained by signing Cruz. I mean, he basically replaces kind of like a Nate McClough, Nolan Reimold sort of seven or eight hitter placeholder in the order. And now they got a guy who can hit 280 with 30 home runs, hitting somewhere in that order with a guy who hit 53 last year and a guy in Machado who hit 50-plus doubles and a 30-30 guy in Jones and on and on and on. It's going to be a tough team to pitch to. Absolutely. I don't know if they have enough pitching. Well, you know, that's where Ubaldo Jimenez comes in handy. Right. <laughs> that late signing and hopefully, you know, Suckman Yoon as well. Um you know, that? if he's in the rotation or if he's in the bullpen. Who? The South Korean pitcher. You uh Moon. Suckman Yoon. <laughs> Whatever his name is. <laughs> I just I've never heard of him. Really? Yes. No? Serious? I, I can't tell if I've read that name and just hadn't heard it pronounced. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, he pitched the day we were in Sarasota. No, no, I'm, I'm only laughing. I'm only laughing because your face when I asked who, I was like, who? And I, I can't tell if you were totally confident in your pronunciation, but you looked terrified. Because I didn't know if I had said something horribly inappropriate by accident, because that's a very, it's a very easy name to turn into something you don't want to say on the air, I guess. But oh, gosh. I wasn't, uh, wasn't 100% certain. I, did, I didn't make a mistake. Uh, but yeah, no, the, you didn't. I'm sure you didn't. I just um, I hadn't heard his name. I thought you were. I, I at first I thought you were saying Y Yi Chen. Obviously, that's not what you were saying. No, he's he's there too. But right. 
<laughs> Either way, the guys they've added, how about that? Does that work? The yeah, guys they've works. added, that's where they come Let's in handy. keep it as vague as possible. I mean, you know, they've still got the question in the bullpen with the closer. It looks like they're rolling with Tommy Hunter, but he hasn't exactly been dominant this spring. So Jim Johnson wasn't exactly dominant at times last year either. He blew, what, nine or ten saves, even though he had 50? Yeah, they get, they get a lot of saves from whoever is out there. It seems like they're in a lot of close games. Remember two years ago? They won, I think it was like 50, 29 and 9, I yeah, think, is the record in one run games. In yeah. one run games. So, you know, they rely a lot on their closer. Tommy Hunter has never closed before. Tommy, Tommy Hunter. It's going to be the closer. <laughs> hey, Tommy. Hey, Tommy, you in a rotation. Warm up the arm. You're going in for the ninth. We have nowhere to go from that. Yeah, That's I don't just... know. That was just a nice little Boston bit. Now I just, I just want to mail in the rest of the podcast and do it in a Boston accent. Boston accent, and I'll, you, I'll do Boston, you do Doc Emmerich. We can just do the whole <laughs> podcast in that. Um, might be a lot more entertaining. I, I can give us that. Well, what do you think of the Red Sox? Like, the, this is the kind of team that, that they could be just as good again, or they could have kind of you know a hangover season. I'm not really sure which one it's going to you know which one it's going to be. It's, I think it sort of depends on how the guys who are replacing the guys they lost fare. I mean. Obviously, we know what kind of player Ellsbury is, especially at the top of your lineup. Somebody's got to replace that. Is it going to be Victorino? Is it going to be Jackie Bradley Jr.? Is it going to be Bogarts? Is it going to be somebody else? Sizemore. Is it going to be Grady Sizemore? He's looked great. He's looked great. He's managed to survive crashing into the wall twice, which you know is two more times than anyone thought he would survive crashing into the wall. I think, but. uh you know, same thing at shortstop too with Bogarts. You know, is he going to be the real deal? Will he struggle? Will Will Middlebrook struggle to the point where they have to move Bogarts back to third? It's there's a lot of fluid parts there, I think, and that's really where the Red Sox questions lie. Their pitching staff, I mean, any one of those guys could be the ace, including Felix Dubron on any given day. The rest of the league, and I'm not at all harshing on the Yankees. I, I a lot of people were hard on them for the Ellsbury contract, which you know it makes sense. They paid him a lot of money, but. What I will say is to anybody that signed a big-time free agent this offseason, a lot of people are kicking themselves looking at a move like Grady Sizemore because he has looked – I know he hasn't played a regular season game yet, mm-hmm. but he has looked so good this spring, and they've probably signed him – what, are they paying him a total of a million dollars or something like that? It, yeah, something with incentives yeah. and, and So that's bonuses. the kind of thing where, like, if that works out, that is a genius general managing move. And uh, Well, that's, that's what we in the – the Yankees mold call a Eric Chavez, Freddy Garcia, Bartolo Colon move, exactly. as Brian Cashman has made several of in the last few exactly. years. It's, it's, a, it's a shrewd gamble. Low risk. Right. Low risk, low high risk reward. Gamble. You know? Low risk, high reward. Shrewd. Um, the, <laughs> the Yankees have the best outfield, I would say, in baseball. Not necessarily defensively, but just given the fact that Ichiro Suzuki is the second guy on the bench. That is something that with, given the addition of Ellsbury, really, you know, you realize that uh, a lot of people say they have question marks. That is the area where they clearly are dominant. Oh, imagine a day where, you know, Beltran or Soriano has the day off and the other one's the DH and Suzuki's in right field. I mean, those three guys could cover Yellowstone yeah, out true. there. It's Realistically, true. it's it's going to be anything within reason is going to be gobbled up. It's like Pac-Man out there. Yeah, they are better defensively. And, and Soriano actually... Played a great outfield last year when he when he played for the Yankees after he was traded. He has never played right field before, though, which is kind of a concern because, you know, left field is notoriously tough at Yankee Stadium, and right field may be a little easier, especially with the jet stream carrying some things out there. But it's still a position he's never played before. 
So there's a different angle coming off the ball. I mean, anyone who's you know a utility infielder can tell you this. All three of the spots are different because there's a different angle coming. You know, when the ball's coming at you, there's a different set of reactions. Different sets of hitters hit different ways. So it's not just oh you know he's a he's a left fielder but he can play right field. It, there is there is a little bit of a panache to it that you need to have a panache a panache. Oh yes. So there's something to be said for that. But I'm sure he'll you know he's 38 years old. He's a veteran. He gets it. He'll be he'll be fine. Adequate at worst. So uh, moving forward, just a, a, a smidge. We have six days till. The first Yankee regular season game? Or is it a week? Depending today? on when you listen to that. Yeah, it's next Tuesday. So, yes. It's next six, Tuesday. Six days from today. This is uh, – I could not be more excited. I, I seriously I, – it's been the longest offseason that I I've, that I remember. I just I, – it's been so long. I know it's probably because the Yankees didn't happen to be playing in October. Right. Got an extra couple weeks. But uh, it really just has seemed like forever. And it's, it's good to be able to get the season going. And um, we, have, we are going to have a ton of content this year. Uh, on yesnetwork.com, so stay tuned for that. This is the point of the spring where a lot of guys are just going through the final motions. You know, the pitchers are getting their final final start, final couple innings. Batters are just kind of, you know, not I don't want to say biting time till the season starts, but they're, you know, they're ready. The veteran guys are ready. But the Yankees still have questions of their own. I mean, Brendan Ryan's injury maybe solidifies Nunez's spot on the roster, but then who replaces Ryan? Well, it you does. Know, there's, it, a hand, does it. there's a handful of guys there that are that are now fighting that thought they might be fighting for one spot that are now fighting for two. So their body of work has to be looked at, you know, again, overall in terms of who are the two best instead of just the best. I think Dean Anna makes the team. You, you know, we have, we have, we have a differing opinion on, on the last spot. We both think Dean Anna is going to make the team now, but you know, as people will see Saturday, I'll do a little foreshadowing when we have our yes, men predict the 25 man roster piece on YesNetwork.com. We have a little bit of a differing philosophy on who gets that sixth spot behind Anna. We have a little bit of a different philosophy on the bullpen as well. Rotation, the catchers, and the outfield, kind of tough to have a uh, differing philosophy considering we know the five starters, the two catchers, and the five outfielders. I just started holding my microphone in a, in a cocky way because I can tell we're about to argue. Headshot? Headshot? Yeah. You're going for the kill shot sideways? I forget who holds their mic like this. It's kind of like a, the side mic. It's kind of like, oh, there's a mic in my face. Hey, what's like, up? It's sad, Mike. Um, going, going back to where we were, though... Uh, Oh, I'm so- oh, sorry. I'm so sorry for 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 distracting. So us. sorry to interrupt, Penguin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there's you know there's a lot of question marks. The bullpen too. You know the 40 man roster plays in it, but you look at what happened today as as we're recording. Chris Larue, you know, had three innings, pitched well again. Fred Lewis finally gave up a run for the first time this spring. Preston Claiborne gave up six without retiring an out. His ERA is now 14 this spring. If you're looking at a guy's entire body of work this spring, do you look at him and say he's got to make it because he's on the 40-man? Or do you look at a guy like Lewis or LaRue or Jim Miller or anybody who's had a good spring and say, we've got to find a roster spot for this guy because he's one of the best 12? That's what Joe Girardi preaches. We know Phelps is going to be in the bullpen now. We're pretty sure Warren's going to be there. Maybe there's only two spots. Maybe there's one available. Yeah. uh, The thing about Claiborne is if you do put him on the team, and he makes the Yankees team. Basically, then you're saying that you're admitting that spring training performance does not matter. Right. Because there are guys that are outperforming him that wouldn't be making the team if Claiborne did. Now, it, if he doesn't make the team, then you're, you're setting a precedent that says, look, I don't care if how good you were last year. If you don't perform in spring training, if it seems like you just think you have the roster, pot, roster spot 
locked down you, and you're just kind of mailing it in, well then, you know, we, we're going to, you know, teach you a lesson and make, make sure that you go back to the miners and fine tune your mechanics and get back up to, to the level that you were at last year. So and don't give up a hundred earned runs to guys who are going to be playing in writing and mobile. Now, right. At, and at I, I think the, the Yankees probably will do that with Claiborne. I haven't, you know, I sort of shared with you my, what I'm writing in that article, my roster predictions, uh, yesterday. And, I had Claiborne in the bullpen, but that was before he gave up six runs today. Me too, and uh, now my thought is changing. You have to look at the whole body of work, like I said, and it's going to be tough to find – well, realistically, it's going to be tough to find one 40-man roster spot, let alone two, but if they have to, I mean, there's going to be a tough decision, and that's where their roster flexibility plays into it. Does Claiborne still make the team because he's on the 40-man? Is he the one that's designated for assignment if somebody like LaRue or Miller or Fred Lewis or Matt Daly is added? Who, who's the guy if Preston Claiborne isn't but isn't on the team anyway? There's so many, so many things that go into it that speculation is, is half futile and half, you know, speculation. Yeah. Um, moving on from the Yankees, Lou, we got a few other sports topics, you know, big-time big, big time stories, uh, as we said at the beginning. Rangers and the Flyers are playing tonight. That's a big game. We won't get too much into that because we, you know, we don't know how many hockey followers we have. Who There's the very few but. games left in the NHL season. We're down to the final couple weeks here, so it's it's the biggest rivalry, you know, maybe in hockey. Not probably. I don't know. It's it's close with the uh, Bruins and and the Canadians, but. Uh, and it's almost the end of the season, and they're separated by one point in the division. So that's right. why it's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have the Heat and Pacers tonight, which is we interesting do. and affects the Brooklyn Nets because uh, we I talked about it on the Chris Sheeran show with Chris uh, last week. He thinks that the the Heat might get upset by the Nets should they meet in, in the playoffs. Both not, Neither the Heat nor the Pacers look good right now. This is basically no. a matchup between two teams that we know are very good. But they're both struggling but right But are now, both yeah. struggling. So the Eastern Conference, by being terrible and top-heavy, has created such an interesting dynamic because it basically means we are relying on these two teams to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and one of them ending up in the Finals to try and compete from the best of the West. But who is that right now? Because the, both both the Heat and the Pacers are, are not not really looking like they want to take it from the other. No, it's it's a battle of who wants it less. I think at this point it seems. But you know, you said earlier, there's people are saying the Nets might upset the Heat if they meet in the playoffs. The Nets are three and zero against the Heat this year. All three have been close games, but they're three and zero. So you have to look at that. As much as the playoffs are a different animal, and you know Miami can turn it on, you have to look at that and say the Nets are going in with the confidence, knowing that not only can they beat them. If they win their final meeting here in a couple weeks, they'll have swept them four games. Not just, like, beat them once. That's four-game sweep. Yeah. Will that happen again? No, but... You know, the Knicks last season and in general in the Carmelo Anthony era have played pretty well against the Heat as well. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like that once the playoffs start, if they have home field advantage, it doesn't even even matter because they have Game 7 in Miami. Having that security blanket of Game 7 at home makes you, I think, play free and easy for the first six games. And, uh, you know, the thing about the Pacers is they have said that if we had had home field advantage last season, I think we would have beaten the Heat and we would have been in the finals. Well, now your job this regular season, your job tonight is to make sure that you're the one seed so that if you play the Heat in the conference finals, game seven is in Indianapolis. I think as time goes on, 
certainly already, and, and even as we get into the playoffs, la- what happened last year in the conference finals will be looked at less as the young upstart Pacers challenging the the undisputed kingpins, and more as perhaps a near changing of the guard. Yeah. I, it just it's the way they've played all year. The Pacers are the better team. Miami has the better pieces, but the Pacers are the better team. Yeah, and do I, you know, I kind of, you know, we all thought we saw it at the end of last year in the finals. It was kind of just like the Heat are the best because of LeBron. Dwayne Wade is a shell of what he used to be. Chris Bosh is clearly not. He's an clearly A-list number player. three in the big three, right? Yes, and ever since then, it's not like they've had a ton of turnover. Now, the one thing is that they can still score on demand. They can mm-hmm. score as many points as they want. It's and they've got guys on the bench who are their 7th, 8th, ninth right. men that have been starters and long-term all-stars. The only reason the we think of the Heat as, and like you said, the change of the guard is because Paul George is an up-and-coming player. Right. The Heat don't have one of those. Roy they Hibbert guys, is still young. Right. They have so guys on. that are kind of on their way out, except for LeBron, who's just still the best in the world. Right. Um and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if one of those two teams do, doesn't, you know, advance in the NBA Finals, who they're going to play because the Western Conference has so many good teams that I, I we were talking about it on the Christian show. The team that is first out of the playoffs, I can't remember exactly who it is, like, uh, you know, the 10 seed technically or the 9 seed in the West has the record to be the number three or four. Yeah, in the, in East. the East. And that's been the case for the last few years. Not as extreme, obviously, but that's been the case for the last few years where, you know, the West's 10th or 11th team would make the playoffs in the East. But the stars that they have, like watching Dirk play last night, you know, he almost single-handedly defeated the Thunder. And, he, you know, Kevin Durant was a non-story compared yep. to Dirk. And... uh there, I mean, look, I am not a huge NBA guy. Uh, obviously, I, I'm I'm more – I like baseball the most, and I like the NHL a lot. But the NBA playoffs, when you get to see max effort and everybody on the floor, which is a key thing because the NBA rests players a lot. Craig Popovich has been doing it for years. Right. And it works. The playoffs in the NBA, you get to, sh- you get to see who really is the best. And we're going to because – that's 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 the you know that's the mo of the playoffs in the NBA. There is one uh, there is one game that involves someone who's far from the best that I will be watching this week if and when it's on somewhere, and that is the Sixers game on Thursday night. For if they lose, they will tie the NBA record for most consecutive losses. They at twenty six. Have you seen the list of things that have happened since they won? I'm pretty sure the Olympics happened. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things that you look at and go. Oh my God! It really has been two months since they won a yeah. game, hasn't it? It's crazy. January twenty ninth. That's that. That was their last one. They beat the Celtics, and they have not won a game since. Tankadelphia is in full effect right now, and it's it's glorious to watch in that train wreck sort of way, where it's like you want them to keep losing, although you feel bad for both them and Sixers fans. Like, how would I feel if you know the Knicks or the Yankees or the Rangers went through a 26-game losing streak? Well, I feel like the NBA has to fix it somehow because if you think about what they're doing, it's genius. If they wanted to, they could go out and sign two max contracts and draft Jabari Parker. Imagine if they, after this year, have LeBron, Carmelo, and Jabari Parker somehow. With like, Michael Carter-Williams exactly. and Nerlens Noel. and With yeah. the team that they already have, the young talent, they don't have to, they don't have to give up anything. They have draft picks. And they can sign free agents because they, they're not paying anybody right. right now. So technically, the NBA has set it up so that if you do want to lose 25 games in a row, you should and can. 
the only thing preventing that in full effect is the way the draft lottery works. But even still, they can only drop to number four. And with Jabari Parker and Julius Randle and Andrew Wiggins and Dougie McBuckets and 900 other great players in this draft, the number four pick is not as bad as you think it would be. Yeah. So they're still going to get a very high quality player at number four. What you know? If that's the maximum they could drop right now. Right. But. We'll see what happens. I mean, I kind of want to see them at least get to 26 and 27 and get the, the pre-Kyrie Irving Cavs off you, the hook. You know, it is kind of nice, though, that one of those top-tier guys in the draft will, will go to a city like Philly because a lot of times, like, they go somewhere like Orlando and, and they just get lost. Whoever ends up going to Milwaukee. Yeah, and they two. end up yeah. – they get lost in the shuffle. They end up leaving as free agents or getting traded two or three years in. When you sign with the 76ers, I mean, that's a, te- a town. It's a basketball town. It had Allen Iverson. You know, it's just like they will appreciate the star, and, and there will be attention on the star. And whether it's Jabari Parker, Andrew Wiggins, Julius Randle, whoever it is, it's going to be good to have them have them up here on a team that will have some focus on them. The one thing I, I should caution, though, is I mentioned Kyrie Irving before, and that's, you know, the year the, the Cavs lost 26 in a row. They got the number one pick and got Irving right after that. They still stink. So that's not exactly the magic elixir, just, just yeah, but doing that. they didn't that, have the money to go out right. and sign like, the free agents that the Sixers Right, do. and they had just lost LeBron, so it was you know, a double whammy. But that's, you still have to look at it that way and say it's not the magic elixir just to tank and get the number one or a top three, four pick. Mm-hmm. There has to be you know, something behind it. But uh, before, we, before we wrap this edition up, we have to talk about March Madness. And of the four guys we mentioned in the college basketball realm there earlier, only one of them is still playing, and that's... Your boy, Julius Randle. Uh, Kentucky is in the Sweet 16. Duke, Kansas, and Creighton all are not. Despite, yeah, that's true. Despite well, being top four seeds. The star players are kind of out. Despite being the top four, you know, among the top four seeds, their teams are all out as of the Sweet 16. And there, there's been a lot of upsets in this tournament. Well, there are some interesting storylines going into the, you know, the Sweet 16. Think about it. They have, they're at the Garden. Yep. UConn's at the UConn's Garden, no at the less. Garden, which is unbelievable. Kentucky's playing Louisville, which is going to be absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kentucky is, I think it's like a five-point spread. Take take the points. Take the points. Like, Kentucky's hot. Kentucky's hot. You know, I'm not sure how much Louisville can score. First of all, like, you know, March Madness is, it's so funny. It's one of those things where... We do predictions, Lou, like, mm-hmm. and, it, and I, you know, we always do them in sports. It's like, yeah, here's who's going to win the World Series. SI just predicted the Nats would win the World Series for two years in a row. It's the second year. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't work last year. Not so much. Sports experts, and I'm air quoting there, predict things because they're, they're fun to hear and watch and fans like that. But we're always wrong. And it's almost as, as if, why do we even do that? Brackets are the same way. Yep. There's not one person in the world that has accurately created a bracket this year. Two two of the four brackets are there's no there's no chalk. And realistically, I mean, of the 12-5 games which are the cachet upset every year, three 12 seeds won. You almost have to give credit to St. Louis for not losing as a 5 seed than you do for North Dakota State or for um Yeah, it's like wow, you survived. Yeah, like. Stephen F Austin won the game and, and Harvard, but you know, you look at the brackets, you've got Florida-UCLA is a 1-4 matchup, and the other side of that bracket is a 10 and 11, Stanford and Dayton, who's, you know, Dayton's gone on a run. Stanford pulled the 
the the least surprising upset ever in beating Kansas early because that's what Kansas does is lose in the second round. Um, you almost have to wonder if Florida can get by UCLA, can they breeze to the national championship? You know, same on the other side. You got Virginia, Michigan State's going to be a great game, and then you got Iowa State against UConn in the Garden. How do how do you bet against UConn? You know, in the Garden. It's the crazy. history they have there. It's crazy to think, like, just listening to that, what you just said, the kind of teams that could be in the Elite Eight in the Final Four. Right. That, that are basically, isn't it funny in the in the NCAA tournament, like, Duke lost to Mercer, but then you think of Tennessee, who just played Mercer, right? Yes. You think of that as, like, oh, Tennessee got lucky. Well, Mercer beat Duke. So you yeah. can't say they got lucky, but that's just kind of the way it works. Teams are different on... Some days than they are on the other. You're going to say you're going to say Tennessee didn't deserve to be there unless they you know they win and they they beat Michigan you know and then they get to the elite eight right. and then you'll say and that. you're going to say they didn't deserve to be be there they just beat Mercer well it's like Mercer beat Duke but it was a couple years ago that VCU started in the first exactly. four and ended in the final four Wichita so it's, State did it yeah it's Florida it's not, Gulf Coast got to the elite eight last year didn't they Dunk City I mean like these things happen and what happens is you actually see how good of teams they are. And and but it, it's true that it does take more than just one Cinderella win yep. in the round of sixty four to prove that they're actually for real. And like you said, you've got matchups. You've got Kentucky against Louisville, the battle for the state. You know that's that's going to be huge no matter what. You've got a Baylor team that scores in buckets against a Wisconsin team that prevents you from scoring in buckets. UConn in the Garden. You've got Florida against UCLA, which is going to be a great defensive game. And you're just as likely. You know, there's still three number one seeds out there. You're just as likely to have those three and maybe a Michigan or a Louisville in the final four at this point as you are Dayton, UConn, Baylor, and Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Does anybody want to see that? If you ask them that, probably not. But by the time you get there, if that's the case, people are like, oh, my God, Tennessee, blah, 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 blah. And that's why March Madness is so awesome because if you asked me a week ago and I said, Tennessee in the final four, who the hell wants to see that? Well, if they make it, I mean, they're going to have to beat Michigan, Louisville, or Kentucky, a handful of good teams. Then it's a good story. Yep. My bracket's shot either way. So. I'm like, it, it, right now, if you're winning your pool, you're just bra- your bracket is the least shot of all the shot brackets. That's basically what it is. I didn't even look at mine for two days because I was so disgusted at myself. I didn't even look at it. I wanted to make it disappear. I was like, I wish there was a way that I could just delete it so nobody could see it. And I looked. I was in first place. I thought I picked I picked Oklahoma State to win, 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 to beat Arizona, and Michigan and Oklahoma State lost in the first round. Yeah, so I was zag- like, oh, I'm sure I'm out of it. And I looked back, and because w- I picked a few upsets, I was in first because everyone's doing poorly. So, but so did everybody else. I mean, right. in one bracket I am winning, but in the other four I'm in. I'm in like 35th place, uh, 17th place. Like, there's not even not even close. Right. I have Florida winning the national championship in most of them, so I'm still alive there and. One one I picked Creighton to get to the final four, so I'd really like to have that one back. But uh... well, Lou, we're running uh, running a little steep on time, so I, I, we're leaving our audience today in a very nice position because we have a great hockey game tonight. We have March Madness coming up tomorrow and Friday and tomorrow, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the women's tournament Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right. Tuesday, which you know is getting down to the same points. Then we have the start of the baseball season beginning of next week. Yep. Or is this Sunday? Sunday night is opening night. I forget who's in it, but it's the I think it's the the Dodgers or the Diamondbacks are playing someone. Yeah, so so buckle up people because you have the NHL, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. Baseball starts Sunday, Yankees start Tuesday. And the end of March Madness. 
This hope you, if you if, if you're going to go buy a new TV, now would be a good time. This might be the best week of the year in sports. Yeah, might right be. here. Might be. That's a good point. And with that, we thank you for listening to what we think is the best podcast in sports. A little bit of self promotion. I yeah yeah. If you haven't uh, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us and let us know how we're doing. You can tweet at us at Doug Williams yes at Lou DePietro yes. Let us know how we're doing. Tell us things you'd love to hear us talk about. Share recipe tips. Doesn't matter. We answer you. We're cool guys. So until the next time we see you, though, he is Doug. I am Lou. We are the Yes Men. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Scott!